Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is going to be based on the gospel reading. Our gospel is from Matthew chapter 21. It's out of respect to the words and the work of Jesus, we remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. could have walked. I mean, really, he, he could have just walked. To be honest with you, Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, it's less than a mile to Jerusalem. He could have just walked, but he didn't. Instead, permit maybe this uh, modernization of what occurred. Jesus turns to two of his guys, two of his disciples, and he says, I want you to go into the town up ahead. I want you to go to the first car dealership that you see. I want you to walk onto the lot, and I want you to find the newest car that there is. And actually, go to the newest one, but also go to the one that's like the most unassuming, the most unpretentious ride. I want you to go to that one and make sure there's no miles on it and just take it. His disciples go, where are we getting the keys? Jesus said, they're in the visor. He said, well, what if we just start driving away and like someone from the car dealership tries to stop us? So he's like, oh, they will. Just tell them the Lord needs it. And they do. They do. He could have just walked, but he didn't. Jesus chose to come in this way that he did for a very specific reason. Because this is what was prophesied. Think about that. 
500 years before Jesus was born, before Palm Sunday took place, the prophet Zechariah said, this is the mode and the manner in which your savior, your king, will come to Jerusalem, lowly, riding on a donkey. He pictures disciples. They, they come back to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, look. It worked just like you said. Can you believe that? Jesus, yeah, it happened. The, the keys were right there. And then we were driving off. And they're like, hey, where are you going with the car? And they're like, hey, the Lord needs it. And it worked. And Jesus just calmly looks at them and says, yeah, I know. Jesus' disciples are there, but the reality is it's not just his disciples that were gathered there. No, Jerusalem is where people went, crowds went to celebrate the Passover. Just like it happened every year, people were starting to gather more and more of them, but there was a certain buzz this year. There was a buzz because people were spreading rumors about Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus of Nazareth, did you, did you hear? He, he's the one who fed 5,000 people. Did you hear about him? And he's also the one, yeah, he's the same guy who's been driving out demons, healing the lepers, and letting blind people see. There was this sort of buzz taking place because of Jesus of Nazareth, but it wasn't just those miracles. No, 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 no. The real thing that stirred the pot is what he did just a few days, about a week before. He said, Lazarus. <laughs> did you hear about that one? Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus did that. Jesus, yeah, his friend, and no, he wasn't just unconscious. He was in there for four days. I saw him. I saw him come out, and I saw him wrapped up with cloth and linen, and he had been in there. I saw it closed four days. You can go ask him. Bethany, it's just outside of Bethphage. It's, it's right by Jerusalem. And so people did. People went to Lazarus, and they said, did this really happen? Is Jesus going to come back? Is he going to be here for the celebration of the Passover? Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they tried to keep it a secret, but they were hosting him for a pre-Passover party in his honor. John's gospel tells us that people were gathering together at Lazarus' house to celebrate Jesus, to honor him. And you know what happened? Crowds came. Crowds came. And not just like, you know, we exaggerate crowd sizes these days, but the Holy Spirit, no, he doesn't lie or exaggerate. He says a very large crowd gathered together around Jesus, gathered together there. Why? Because they knew it. This is the Messiah. This is the King. Well, they knew about the miracles, but they were starting to put two and two together. Oh, if he has the power to heal blind people and leprosy, he's got the power. He's got the power to, to open this, this Roman rule. And we don't have to worry. If he can feed 5,000 people, we don't have to worry about Rome trying to starve us out or, or anything like that because he'll feed us. And an army, we don't need it. We do not even need soldiers in an army anymore because he can raise. 
people were putting it together. People were starting to text their friends as the disciples pulled up to the house with a donkey and be like, get here, you better hurry up. He's gonna leave. He's heading into Jerusalem. He's getting on a donkey. You gotta see this. He might be the Messiah. And people did. They came and what they shouted was Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the one who is the most high. Hosanna. Hosanna is a prayer. It is a prayer that means, Lord, save us. But it's a prayer that's also praised, that says, Lord, thank you for saving us. Hosanna. Hosanna. And they quoted a song, a psalm, Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you know why they quoted this one? Because they knew what Psalm 118 said. The Lord saves us. Lord grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, y'all. This is it. Success is here. Our king is here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You might as well capitalize it. The coming one, it was a title for the Messiah. And yet, the crowds had a question. They couldn't really figure it out. The whole city was stirred. They're mentally agitated by this. Who is this? It wasn't, whoa, who is this? It was, no, no, no. Who is this? Who is this? Because I get it, like, he does all the miracles, he's got all the power, he's coming, he's coming on a donkey, but he's kind of plain. I mean, he's, he's ordinary. He's from Nazareth. I mean, did you know there's a saying, a saying that even Jesus' own disciples used about him when they first met him? They said, you know, it was a popular saying, yeah, what good can come from Nazareth? This? A king? No. What good, what good can come from Nazareth? Who is this? So they said, well, it's a prophet. You know, Jesus. Jesus from Nazareth. They're agitated, confused about who this is. And so on Palm Sunday, they gave a partial answer. Who is this? Ah, it's, it's our prophet. And they were right. I mean, Jesus is our prophet. He is our priest, but he's also our king. He is our king. He's a different kind of king. Ah, he is a greater kind of king. For he came to Jerusalem, not powerfully to rule his people. He came to Jerusalem humbly. He came humbly in order to save his people. Jesus came in that manner for a reason. He came, though true God, as also true man. He came, though he had all power in a lowly and meek manner. But catch why. Your king comes for you. He came and he set aside his glory, not just to show he could, but he did it to take something on. Your guilt, your sin. He came and he came in the meek estate that he did, not just, you know, as a low-key flex that I can, I can do it. No, he did it in order to take on a curse. 
in order to take on a punishment for sin called death, separation from the Father, so you and I would never have to. Your king came humbly to Jerusalem, not in order to go and sit on a throne, but he came, not powerfully, humbly, in order to go up on a cross. Let that stir your heart. This is why your king came. And this is why he came in the manner that he did. Yeah, he was not maybe what the people wanted, but he's what we all needed. A king who didn't come powerfully to rule us, but our king come humbly to save you and to save me. So here's the question we have to consider. If, if this is God, and this is how God works, if this, is, if this is the Lord's modus operandi, that he comes lowly and meek, and he comes and he, and he turns things into the opposite of what they are, he takes a donkey and makes it a signal of power, he takes a cross, which is a sign of suffering, and he makes it a sign of success, he takes a grave, which is a, a sure sign of death, and and makes it a sign of life. If, if this is how Jesus works, why is it that we start to look for him in different ways? We ask him to work in different ways. We like to look for Jesus with all of the trappings of power and success. Let me put it this way. In your life, in your spiritual and religious life, where are you looking? Where are you looking for Jesus? If we're honest with ourselves, all too often, we look in the realm of success. And yes, I get it, success can look a whole lot different for a lot of different people, but don't we? We look to success. We look maybe to the special times and the special things, the good times, the good life, and the good things. We look to the comfortable things because, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes so much more sense to envision that, that God works, that our king comes, and he comes in terms of success and in terms of, of power. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? That, well, Jesus is king when here's an easy one that, you know, all the bills are paid and, and my retirement's looking good. Jesus is sure king and, and God is really powerful and in control when, hey, I got all my family and friends around me. My, my coworkers, they, they think I'm pretty good. It's easier to imagine that Jesus Christ is king and he is sitting on his throne when we feel good, when our health is good, when our mental health is, is strong, when we don't feel sad, then Jesus rules. Jesus is king and I like it when I'm crushing all my goals and I'm motivated. But we know something. You, you and I know something that the, maybe the crowds didn't. We know how Jesus works. 
Like, I'm not ruining the ending here. You know what happens this week. Jesus is gonna die. He's gonna suffer badly on a cross. He's gonna die and be buried, but he will rise again for you and me. That's what he does. He turns donkeys into signs of power, crosses, which are surely signs of suffering, into sign of victory, and graves, which means death, into a signal for life. So why do we look in other places for how he works? Why do we look for him in the realm of success and power and authority? Why do we get agitated and stirred when it seems like, man, he's kind of humble. He's kind of meek. Jesus comes to me and, ah, man, it's not that impressive. Why does that stir us? The truth is, it's because outside of the gospel, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God works differently, that he works actually in a great way, but it is completely the opposite of any way that makes sense to us. It doesn't make sense to us that God Jesus Christ was the very nature of God. And yet, how, how does that work? That he doesn't even consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. How is it that he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man? That he, but how? Why? Did, would he humble himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross? Jesus doesn't come in the ways that maybe we would expect, but he does come in the way that we need. He comes not powerfully to rule us. He comes humbly, and he does come in order to save us. So what about this? What about if we start to look for Jesus in the realm of unsuccess? I mean, think about that. If that's how he chooses to work and reveal himself, he comes in kind of that ordinary, meek and lowly way, what would it look like if we started to look for Jesus coming to us in unsuccess? What would that look like? What if we started to look for Jesus in unsuccess? Instead of uh, looking for Jesus to really be king in our lives when, when we're popular and everyone likes us and we have all our loved ones around us, what if we look for Jesus in not the unsuccess of loneliness? What we'd see is that our king comes. Your king comes to you, and he comes differently. He comes actually in a greater way because he comes from multitude of angels gathered around him in his throne, praising him, and he knows loneliness. He comes and was rejected by the ones that he came to save. He comes, and in the forsakenness of God himself, he comes for you to bring salvation. What if we were to start looking for Jesus in the unsuccess of our lives and in the areas of our life where we don't meet all of our goals and deadlines, but we actually fail? What we might see is that we have a God who takes the greatest reversal that there is and 
and gives us life when we meet death. What would it look like to look for Jesus in the unsuccessful areas of our lives? We all look for, you know, okay, the transformation and growth that we want. And what would this look like if we stopped looking to the really powerful and the really motivational and inspirational voices in the world? What would happen if we started looking and listening to the really boring ones? Your friends and your family. An average dude who preaches in a gymnasium. You know what we would hear? We would hear promises. We would hear promises of peace that are too wonderful for us to even comprehend. And they would be planted more and more in our hearts because these are the ways that God chooses to communicate his grace, his gospel to you. What would it look like to look for Jesus in the unsuccessful areas of our life? outside of the really positive places of our life, the good times, the good vibes, the good feelings, what would it look like to start looking for your king and, and how he comes to you in the pretty ordinary? Plain old bread and wine, just water. What would happen if you started to look for your king where he told you he's gonna come? He would come rushing and bringing to you all of the power, all of the strength, all of the satiation that, that physical bread and wine can't give to your bodies. But in a supernatural and wonderful way, he would strengthen your faith and he would strengthen your confidence in him and then push you back out into his world where you could live in that, in that strengthening of faith. Friends, what would happen if you started to look for Jesus in the unsuccessful areas of our life? You would see, you would see that your king comes to you. Yes, he comes lowly. Yes, he comes humbly, but he comes with victory and he comes with righteousness and he comes to give those things to you so that what's his is yours. What would happen if we looked for Jesus in the unsuccessful areas of our life? Oh, you'd be shaken, but not stirred. Yeah, you might be shaken with all the things that happen in life, but no, 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 no. You wouldn't be stirred like, who is this? Where is Jesus? No, you would know who this is. This is your king. Hosanna to the son of David. You might experience some unsuccess, but your soul could be at rest because you know who your king is. Power? Why? Because when I'm weak, I'm strong. Riches? Why? Because he who has everything became impoverished to give it all to me. Winning? Doesn't matter. Because when I'm first, I'm last. Beauty? What of it? Because our God died on an ugly cross. And because he died on a cross, here's what God did. God exalted him. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the knee that is above every knee. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What would happen if we started to look for Jesus according to the way he works, how he chooses to reveal himself to us, 
you'd see your king. You would see that your king comes to you. You would fill your heart and your voice with the same praise that that crowd sang. Hosanna. 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 One of the most powerful descriptors of Palm Sunday is the old hymn, Right On, Right On in Majesty. What the hymn does so, so well is push all of the palms and and the pomp to the side, if you will. And what it does is it just clearly shows us what's happening. That Christ is riding on in majesty, yes, of a different sort. His last and fiercest strife, this is it. What's going on right now is no small thing. That Christ is coming into Jerusalem and the Father, he's sitting on the edge of his seat. He's sitting on his sapphire throne, not laid back, just like, oh, yeah, it's happening. No, he's watching. He's peering into this on the edge of this seat. Angels crowding around to see this at last. It's happening. The most holy of weeks. It's taking place. Why? Because he's waiting. We've been waiting for the sun, for the sun to do this. And in this way, bring more sons and more daughters into our family. Ride on, ride on in majesty. Yes, he's riding on to die, but this is not a ride to surrender. No, this is a ride for victory because yeah, he's gonna bow his meek head. We know, we know he's gonna suffer mortal pain. And yet that's not where God remains. He takes his power and his reign up again. You know, the next time Jesus is hanging out with palms in the Bible, it's when he's back home. Revelation chapter 7 gives us a glimpse at this. There we read John seeing heaven that, that is ours, that is Christ now. He looked, and there before him was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, your king comes to you. It comes a little differently in the form of a lamb, but it is a different kind of king. No, a greater kind of king, for he brings the thing that we need, salvation. Salvation belongs to him, but he's given it to you. So lift up your palms and praise him. Amen. 